GMOs. Today, we're going to be talking about the super hot topic of the Glenn Miller Orchestra, created by the Glenn Miller in 1938. We're going to get into why people across the globe are protesting this swing band from 1938. We're going to talk about why you're bred People want non-GMO. They don't want why people don't want their bread influenced by the Glenn Miller band, the Glenn Miller Orchestra. We're gonna talk about why people are picketing the Greater Milwaukee Golf Open. Guys, we're gonna be talking about GMOs. <laughs> and uh, if you believe that, uh or if you like seriously came here hoping to talk about the Glenn Miller Orchestra or even the Greater Milwaukee Open, I'm sorry. We're actually going to be talking about genetically modified organisms today. Uh, we're going to be getting into all of the wackadoodle things that uh, people are freaking out about them, why they're so hotly contested, um, and we're just going to get into them, hopefully inform you on what a GMO is. Lots of people think it's a chemical. It's not. It's a genetically modified organism. And that's what we're going to be getting into today on carpool chemistry. Hey guys, welcome back to carpool chemistry and welcome to this week's episode on genetically modified organisms. Um, to start off, I wanted to give a few updates uh, from listeners that have either Specific, uh, I almost said that wrong. Specifically mentioned and, and uh, talked to me about an episode, or uh, had just in passing conversation, I realized that I needed to say something. Um, the first one comes from uh, from listener Drew, who had a question about our essential. Uh, essential oils episode and how I mentioned that the skin was this impenetrable barrier. And, uh, I wanted to correct and clarify that a little bit. Um, so Drew sent me also a link to the CDC talking about how things can be, uh, things can penetrate the skin. Um, I was reading through the entire article and it was a very interesting article. Um, I just want to go and say your skin can be penetrated by a chemical. That's how things like nicotine patches work. Okay. Um, but at the same time, your skin is like, it's a protective barrier. We have skin for a reason and that's to keep things out or to keep things in. We want to keep things like blood in our body. You want to keep things out like harmful bacteria. Okay. That's what our skin's for. But at the same time, it can be penetrated by things like small molecules. Um, our skin does gas exchange. That's why your skin can dry out because water can leave your skin. Um, that's how it can also be hydrated again. If you use lotions, um, it, it's a barrier to keep that water in your skin and also can rehydrate your skin. Um, that's a lot of what these essential oils do as well is that they're rehydrating your skin. Um, but 
Uh, so, like I said, small molecules can penetrate our skin. Uh, also, if you, it depends on the condition of your skin. If you have, you know, an abrasion or a cut, things like bacteria and fungus can get in there. And that's how you get things like staph infection or ringworm or athlete's foot. A lot of times they'll start with an abrasion or for some reason your, your skin's damaged. That's how things can also enter into your skin. Um, it also can depend on concentration. Um, like that's, I mentioned nicotine patches. Nicotine patches work because of the, the concentration of nicotine in the patch uh, is so high that it allows for diffusion into your skin and it makes it all the way to your bloodstream and, and allows you to get a little bit of a nicotine fix. So that's a little bit of how things can make into your skin. I was specifically talking uh, in last week's episode about uh, Digest Zen. It's a product by doTERRA. It's a, it's a blend supposed to help with digestion when you have indigestion or, or some uh, stomach issues. And I was saying that there's no way that could help your stomach. And uh, maybe I just wasn't clear and, or maybe I misspoke when I said that it wasn't going to make it in there. But I, I'm going to reaffirm that the Digest Zen applied topically to your stomach is not going to affect your digestion. Um, these oils... Most of the time, they're not going to make it past the fat layer that's under, like, just underneath your skin. Okay, this Digest Zen, if it were to work, it would have to make it through your skin, the fat layer under your skin, the muscle layer underneath your fat. It would have to make it through the lining of your cavity. It would have to go through the fluid that's in between your cavity and your uh, internal organs, and then it would have to penetrate through the linings of your internal organs to make it inside your gut. Okay. And that's just not going to happen. Um, most of the time, let's, let's say for just uh, as hypothetically that if it were to make it past your fat layer, this digest Zen would most likely be absorbed by the blood vessels, uh, that are in the muscles and in the fat tissue. And it would be absorbed into your bloodstream and completely diluted and spread throughout your entire body. And hardly any of it would ever make it to your gut. Okay. So that's why I was talking about that. It's, you know, while things applied topically can help the immediate area, like, you know, rubbing essential oil, like, uh, Trying to think like like icy hot. It's not an essential oil, but it helps because it has these like warming and cooling properties that can help your muscles. The the pain that's felt from soreness or whatever, okay, that's helping the immediate area. Whereas if you smash up aspirin and rub it on your chest, it's not going to start stop a heart attack. Okay, you have to ingest it internally to affect internal organs. And, and that's the same with these essential oils. Um, most of the time, these essential oils, you either have to rub it on your skin and it's going to affect the media area or you're going to have to either ingest it, either like eating it or whatever, or through breathing it in, through uh, diffusing it or whatever, or like 
the peppermint. You rub it on your temples and then you're breathing it in and it's a vasodilator, okay? Uh, things like that. That's that's what I was meaning. I hope I hope that clears it up. Okay. Um the second update comes from uh my probably my favorite teacher in high school, uh Mr. Davidson. I was having a conversation with him and it was brought to my attention that in my first episode, which was I'll admit very ranty and I and I I should have had a topic. I just kind of went off. That's kind of why if you're listening on the anchor, you'll notice that the intro song was Ramblin' Man by uh I think it's the Almond Brothers. Yeah, Almond Brothers. Anyways, I'll admit I ramble. I'm that's why these episodes are long. I'm a rambler, okay? And sometimes I get going and I don't realize the things that I'm saying. But I do want to say I was not talking about my personal experience in high school when I was talking about uh, education failing uh, uh, just some of these kids. Okay, I had an amazing high school experience. And if I didn't, I, I wouldn't be where I am today. I wouldn't be well on my way to a PhD in biochemistry. I had amazing teachers at Box Elder High School. Mr. Davidson being one of the most influential teachers in my uh, education career. Okay. Um, he, I don't know. I, I learned a lot from him. He got me, I already had a curiosity of things. Davidson was very good at taking my curiosity and, you know, feeding it. And, and uh, probably fed my ego a little bit too. Uh, we have similar personalities, but, uh, Mr. Davidson, amazing teacher, love the guy. He, he's been, he's definitely up there with the people that have influenced my life the most. He's, he's up there top five for sure. Um, so I, like I said, I, I had an amazing education, all the teachers, I, ne I never had a teacher in high school. Well, I'm not going to say I never had one. There was one or two, and they're not going to listen to this ever anyways. So uh, that I didn't like. Um, there were subjects that I that I didn't care for as much as others. I wasn't a big fan of English, even though uh, I, I still had teachers that made it interesting to me. Um, and that's And that's what, like... I have such an appreciation for high school teachers in general and, and all teachers really, they, the good ones can take a subject that like in high school, especially there's so many kids that just don't care. They're there because they're forced to be there. They're there because the government tells them they have to be there. or Their parents are making them go. Okay. And people like Mr. Davidson, they can make chemistry fun. They can make it cool. They can apply it so well. Like I, there was, uh, Mr. Davidson put on his, uh, Instagram about, it was, it was just this picture of two upside down burettes and had red liquid in it. One was filled up to a certain amount. The one next to it was filled up, not as far 
And he's like, if you can explain this to me, like, can anyone explain this? Took me a minute. Made me realize that it was actually electrolysis. It was uh, when you use electricity to break apart water into oxygen and hydrogen. And, you know, that's just one of the ways that, like, it it's really cool to see things like that. And as, like, a student, I remember, like, thinking, like, oh, there's things like this that are really cool. And being able to apply science to, like, to be able to see it in a lab. I, that's one of the, my favorite things about chemistry is it's very much an, – it's an applied science. You can use it hands-on. And, and Davidson was always really good about showing really cool demonstrations and uh, instilling curiosity – and making a subject that a lot of people would consider chemistry not interesting, he'd make it interesting for people that didn't think it was. I always thought it was interesting, but I'm a weird nerd, and I think stuff like that's interesting. Okay? Uh, I love when Davidson posts stuff like that. It's awesome. So, yeah, I just I wanted to just make sure that any of my high school teachers, if you're listening to this, I appreciate you. Uh, it takes a very special person to be able to articulate subjects that someone might not care about and make them care about it. And I definitely think all of my teachers were able to do that very well. And like I said, Mr. Davidson, uh, he, he definitely was able to do that. And I, and I appreciate them. I, I once, uh, while I was still in my undergrad, went and and tried to t talk to high school kids about chemistry. I was terrible. I, I think I'm better now. I've had to teach um, some labs, and I think I've gotten better at teaching. But at the same time, I tried to teach some high school kids basic chemistry principles. I think we were talking about stoichiometry or something like that. Anyways, uh, I sucked at it. I was terrible at it. And I was just thinking, like, how – I don't know how, you know, people do – I don't know how Davidson does this. It's really hard. And, you know, it, it takes a very intelligent person. I'm, I'm too dumb to teach high school kids. That's why I want to teach college kids because I have to – I'm dumb enough that I have – I want to teach kids that already care, that, like, they want to be in class. That's, you know, college. I don't want to teach kids I, – I don't think I could do it, teach high school kids that they don't care. I, I'm not intelligent enough to be able to, you know, like I said, articulate this subject that I care so much about so that high school kids can care about it too. And But, you know, high school teachers can do that. You know, it, it takes a very special person to be able to do that, and I'm, I'm not one of those special people. Okay, I'm trying to get better at it. That's why I'm doing this podcast. Anyways, uh, wrap that update up. Davidson, if you're listening, I appreciate you. I would not be where I am today without you and all of the other teachers at Box Elder High School. So uh, go bees. <laughs> uh, thank you for being an educator and inspiring me to be one as well. Um. Last update. Uh, actually, two two updates. One more. 
Um, so episode five next week, it's going to be on marijuana. It's a big topic right now, especially in Utah. I want to talk about it. I want to talk about THC and CBD, what we know and what we need to know and why it's such a big issue. And then I'm going to let you guys vote on episode six. Okay. I'll be posting that soon. So be on the lookout for that. Last update, just want to let you guys know the reason why this episode is coming out on a Thursday instead of a Wednesday. I recorded it Tuesday night, but then I listened to it and I was up to like two in the morning. was really tired. I was listening to it, was not satisfied with how it sounded. I, uh, genetically modified organisms are, it's a topic that I'm very passionate about being a dairy farmer and a scientist. And I just felt like I didn't do a good enough job about of it. And I was having some uploading issues with my really slow, crappy Wi-Fi being out here in the country. So I, uh, I just scrapped the whole thing and I'm starting over again. So, uh, I hope I don't offend you guys by wanting to make it a higher quality episode. Uh, so if you're offended, I'm sorry. I'm going to, they're going to come out on Wednesdays. I promise this won't happen again. Uh, I got, I've decided to give myself some more time to be able to uh, record these episodes. So bear with me. Um, hopefully this ends up being a good episode. So with that, let's get into some GMOs. So what is a GMO? To start off, I kind of want to give you guys a quick overview of what we're going to be talking about today. I'm going to explain what a GMO is. I'm going to explain the difference between a transgenic organism and just an organism that through selective breeding, we've modified its genes over time. We're going to talk about some of the history of GMOs and some of the history uh, with genetic discoveries that led to the ability to form GMOs. Uh, we're going to go all the way back to Mendel and Darwin. Uh, we're going to talk about why I think personally and why the world thinks GMOs are important, why they probably shouldn't be banned. Uh, definitely shouldn't be banned. We're, so we're going to talk about why they're important. We're going to talk about why people are freaking out about them. Some of the legitimate concerns, some of the ridiculous concerns. We're going to get into the wackadoodle of the day, the dipstick of the day. Uh, we're going to get into just, you know, just craziness. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, the MTHFR gene and why uh, naturopathic medicine likes to use the MTHFR gene as like the scapegoat of why we shouldn't have vaccines, why we shouldn't have GMOs, why we should all eat organic water and all of that other BS. Uh, so we're going to get into that, what that is and how, and like the claim behind it and how it's false. Um, and, and we're going to wrap it up there. So I feel like that's a pretty good overview. And so with that, let's get into what are GMOs. Okay. So let's start with the definition of what a GMO is. What is a genetically modified organism? A genetically modified organism is obviously an organism, a living thing that has had its genetic material altered or modified. So it's had its DNA changed. Now, when we make these changes to this DNA, they're not big changes. It's not like we're 
were taking a frog cell and putting in like whole fish chromosomes. No, uh, maybe I should maybe I should uh, define what a chromosome is because I'm going to talk about them later. Uh, a chromosome. Each human has 46 chromosomes. You have 23 pairs. Okay, they are condensed DNA. Our cells condense DNA so that they can fit in our cells, and they're condensed into what are called chromosomes. Okay, um, we have chromosomes. Bacteria kind of have chromosomes, but not really. Um, they have circular DNA. Their DNA is just a big circle. And they also have what are called plasmids. Plasmids are small, tiny circles of DNA that contain just a few genes, whereas a chromosome can hold thousands of genes. Okay? So just, just a little bit of heads up. I'm going to be throwing that out there just so you know what they are. Okay. So what are these GMOs? Um, like I said, an organism that's had some of its genes changed or had additional genes added to their genome or the, their collection of genes. Um, and, and there's kind of two different kinds of, of GMOs, uh, technically. The first kind is one that we are all very familiar with, even if you didn't realize it was a GMO which is organisms that we have created through what's called selective breeding or uh, breeding the traits that we like in organisms. This is how dogs, all the different breeds of dogs have been created from wolves and wild dogs. This is how cows, like we have the specific domesticated cow. Domestication is selective breeding. It creates GMOs. You'll notice that like a domesticated duck looks a lot different than a wild duck. And there's reasons for that. It's because we've domesticated them. We've, we've continued to breed the traits that we like into the animals. Okay. And some of this kind of happened naturally. We just, you know, we have grains today because we naturally ate and planted the ones that had bigger kernels and had more kernels. And that's how, like, for instance, corn if you look up what corn used to look like before we domesticated corn or maize, it was like, it was basically a grass. It was this short little grass and it had like eight, had like eight or so kernels on it. Okay. And we've taken that and made it into this giant plant that produces a whole ear of corn. Okay. Um, that's, we, we did that naturally just selecting, Oh, that one has more kernels on it. I want to take that one. And you take, kernel from that and plant it and then you get you know so you just perpetuate so the ones that are surviving and the ones that are reproducing are the ones that we like it's called selective breeding or artificial and artificial selection okay and so we've created these gmos naturally we've been doing it for thousands of years they think that the first domesticated animal uh started happening uh, or the first GMO technically uh, was about 12,000 BCE. That's really early, okay? That's a long time ago. So that's, that's one kind of GMO. The other kind of GMO uh, is a, what's called a transgenic organism, which is an organism 
that has DNA that is foreign to it. It's not naturally in that organism. So, for instance, uh, you if you go to Walmart, you'll see glowfish. Okay, they're zebrafish that have been given a gene. I think I think they come from bacteria. I'm not completely sure. Um, that allows them to glow when UV light is uh, shined on them. That's that's a transgenic organism. Zebrafish don't usually glow. Okay. Um, so that's a transgenic organism. And now I kind of want to go through a brief history of, of GMOs and of, uh, of DNA itself. It, I feel like it'll bring some relevance to why we're talking about this. And, and it kind of leads into why people are so nervous about GMOs and why they kind of freak out about them. So, I mean, of course we could, I could start clear back 12,000 BCE. I'm not going to start there. I'm going to start in the 1860s with Mendel and Darwin. Okay. You had Charles Darwin, who in 1859, he publishes his book, The Origin of Species, on selection and natural selection, which ties hand in hand with, uh, with this artificial selection that the best traits are going to be inherited and passed down and passed down. Okay. So, um, Darwin got a lot of things right in his, in his theory of natural selection. The one thing he was missing is actually what Gregory Mendel, uh, discovered. And that was that there was genes. Darwin didn't understand. He didn't ever, he he published so late because he never could find a mechanism for inheritance. And Gregory Mendel did, and he discovered genes and is considered the father of genetics. He found through studies of pea plants and other plants that there was genetic material, and he discovered traits that could be passed down and that you could quantize it and that you could predict it. Okay, so there's Mendel and Darwin. A little bit later, we have T.H. Morgan, who is working with fruit flies, okay, and uh, he discovers that through, uh, through studying fruit flies and their genes that you could tell how far a gene was from the center of a chromosome by which chromosome, like by which genes got passed on to offspring. So a little bit we we get a little bit further of understanding of what a chromosome is. He, even though at this point, uh, even though DNA had been discovered, it qu hadn't quite been discovered that DNA was the genetic material. That's uh, a little bit later on. But then we have one of Morgan's uh, colleagues, Moeller, that uses X-rays. And he's able to make mutants of fruit flies. Okay, so he shoots these fruit flies with x-rays and it changes some of their DNAs. And he starts to see, and just, you know, he shot them with a lot of x-rays. Okay, getting an x-ray at the doctor's not going to give you mutations. But he shot these fruit flies with these x-rays and he starts to see mutant fruit flies. I mean, they're growing legs out of their heads, things like that. Okay. And 
uh, mutations in people, they don't do things like that. Uh, fruit flies don't have as many chromosomes as us, and their genetics are very... Uh, They, they go crazy pretty fast. Um, maybe we'll get that in, to that in another carpool chemistry. Anyways, moving on. Um, then we have uh, Avery, who discovers uh, the transformation of genetic material. Okay. By this point, uh, this is he's the one that discovers that DNA is the genetic material that's being passed on. Uh, and, th and that's what's coding for traits. Okay, he did this through uh, two strains of bacteria and mice and whether or not it killed these mice. And uh, so, yeah, he, he discovered that this DNA was what was causing uh, these bacteria to be able to uh, kill the mice. Move a little farther. We have uh, Chase and Hershey that further uh, confirm that DNA is actually the heritable material. And they do this experiment where they take viruses that only uh, kill bacteria and only infect bacteria, a bacteriophage, and they label, they radioactively label the sulfur in these uh, viruses, which would tag a protein. And then they, radioactive in an in a separate experiment they radioactively label the phosphorus which would uh tag dna and nucleic acids and then they expose them to bacteria allow them to infect the bacteria the protein the shell of the virus will stay on the outside of the bacteria while the dna would be uh injected into the bacteria and what they saw from this is that the phosphorus made it inside of the bacteria while the sulfur stayed outside. So they could tell that viruses were using DNA to be able to uh, replicate themselves and infect things. Okay, so once again, we have further validation that DNA is the heritable material. So and then a little bit later on in the 1950s, uh, we have Watson, Crick, and Franklin that discover the structure of DNA. They use x-ray crystallography and model building to, uh, to prove that DNA is in fact a double helix. And that's kind of, I mean, there's obviously way more investments that happen. We're going to jump ahead to Cohen, who is the first person to make recombinant DNA, which is DNA. So he, he took two different viruses and he, combined them into one plasmid and formed recombinant DNA. So he, he mixed two different species DNA. He was the first person to do that. And then from then on, we have people using this recombination technique and they're able to add foreign genes into uh, other organisms. And we get the first GMO plants, the first GMO mice, the first GMO a lot of things, okay? So that's that's a little bit of the history of DNA. I and I know I didn't make it super interesting, uh, but it is actually like if you go look up the 
the implications from Mendel and Darwin's studies and, and Morgan's and Moeller's and Avery's, it's amazing. I actually read a book called uh, The Gene and Intimate History. It sounds like a, a super boring book, but it's actually very it, – it's fascinating. Um, if you like science at all, I recommend that book. Um, so, yeah, that's a little bit of the history. Now, let's talk a little bit about how we make a GMO. And there's several different ways to make a genetically modified organism, okay? Um, there's a few different steps. First step, obviously, you got to decide what gene you want uh, out of the, your first organism, okay? Um, let's just use the glowfish that you see in Walmart as an example. You obviously want this glowing gene, okay? So you got to extract that gene from whatever organism that glows. You extract that organism. I mean, you extract the DNA from that organism. You cut it so you're only getting that specific uh, gene. We do that through what's called restriction enzymes. They cut this very specific uh, locations of DNA. You then uh, take that gene and you put it into what's, uh, like I mentioned before, a plasmid. Okay, you Put it into a small circle of DNA and you put that plasmid into a bacteria. So you've created your first, uh, your first GMO. You have this glowing gene and you put it into another bacteria and use this bacteria. Bacteria, they don't really distinguish from foreign DNA from their own. So they just start replicating whatever's there. Okay. And so they're replicating this foreign DNA as well. And this is how we're able to have continuous, uh, like you can have, and as long as you supply these bacteria with the nutrients they need, they can make unlimited amounts of this plasmid. Okay. So then you extract that plasmid again, or, and you can either use it, uh, there's just, you then need to get it into your organism of choice. Okay. In this case, it's going to be the zebrafish. What you can do is you can, it's called a gene gun. You coat these uh, plasmids in gold or tungsten, and then you can shoot them into your host. This is most of the time done in plants. Um, you can shoot them in your host, and they'll incorporate this DNA. You can uh, use bacteria. This is done in plants as well. They use agrobacterium to infect plants, and they this agrobacterium has a specific enzyme that allows for the DNA to be uh, put into the organism. You also have viruses. Uh, viruses can be very useful in putting genes into uh, into a host organism. And uh, the last and final one is just like bacteria will naturally uptake uh, foreign DNA. <clears throat> and so you can use this, this natural ability to allow this bacteria to uptake uh, this foreign DNA. 
sorry, kind of got lost in my in my head for a second. So, uh, yeah, you can you can use these bacteria, and some bacteria are are better than others at uptaking. Uh, we call it inducing uh, this DNA. Uh, for instance, like E. coli takes up uh, DNA really well. Another bacteria that I work with, Shigella, not so much. So what we do is you can also use uh, electroporation or you can shock like we, we sh use uh, electricity shock which causes the, the outside of the bacteria to become more permeable and allow the DNA to get inside the, the bacteria a lot easier. And you can actually do this uh, with plant cells and, and other things as well. And the last and final way is to just straight inject it into uh, a cell. We, this is how uh, GMO animals are made if they're not they're either done by virus or by injection or they use a really tiny needle and they inject this foreign DNA straight into the nucleus of a uh, like an embryo of whatever animal in this case it would be a zebrafish you'd inject this glowing gene straight into the nucleus of the zebrafish and from then on you just let it grow and uh it gets grows up and hopefully it has has the gene. If it doesn't, you're gonna have to do it again. So that that's how we make uh, GMOs. And so next, we're gonna get into why are these GMOs so important to us. So why are GMOs important? Why do we need these? Why can't we just keep, you know, I guess selectively breeding plants? And you know why? Why do we need to get science involved with creating these uh, these freaks, as some people call them? Okay, why why do we got to be messing with nature? So, one of the biggest things, one of the biggest uh, users of GMOs is obviously uh, agriculture. That's that's where you're going to be exposed to it the most. You'll see. Uh, like they're starting to label whether or not food has GMOs in them. Um, and that's because agriculture uses it the most. And some of the reasons why uh, agriculture uses them is because we have, we have this problem as people that there's beginning to be too many of us. Okay. The world population is, it's a, here pretty quick and hit 8 billion people on the planet if it hasn't already. Okay. So we have way too many people that we're trying to feed. And the problem is with all these people is that they're building and using land that we used to use to farm, but now we're building stuff on it and there's getting to be less and less farms and more and more people. So we're having to we're having to feed more people with less land. Uh, if you don't even have to be somewhat good at math to understand why that's a problem, okay? So the only way we can feed more people with less land is to increase the yields 
increase the amount of food we're producing per uh, area of land. So, uh, and if we don't do that, lots of people are going to die and starve to death. Like they already are, but it's going to be even worse. It's going to be more widespread. Okay. Um, so, one of the things that we do is we genetically modify these plants to be able to produce bigger fruit or to produce more fruit. They're, they're producing more kernels or, you know, more fruit per plant. Okay. And uh, one of the ways that we do that is not necessarily through introducing foreign DNA, but using its own DNA uh, to work for itself in what's called polyploidy. Polyploidy means you have more than one set of more than one full set of chromosomes per, per organism. And this happens a lot in plants. That's, that's how you can get these, like you'll go to the grocery store and just see these massive strawberries. It's because those strawberries have what's called polyploidy. They have more than one set of chromosomes. So they're able to produce um, more of the proteins and more of the enzymes to make these fruits bigger. It's not, you know, there's there's not foreign DNA in there. It's all strawberry DNA. It's there's just more of it, so it makes a bigger fruit. It's harmless. Okay, it's all strawberry. It's just big and cool. Okay, um, so polyploidy is one of the ways that we can technically make a GMO. It's not transgenic, but it is technically a GMO where we're using the the organism's own DNA. And this actually we use, we've used this in uh, in bananas for years. There's actually no such thing as a non-GMO banana. So whatever BS you're seeing at the store, bananas are GMOs. Non-GMO bananas because bananas that you see in the store are technically sterile. You can't make more bananas from those bananas. Um, Non-GMO bananas uh, have giant brown seeds in them. There's hardly any fruit in. It looks kind of like a like a beanstalk. There's just these giant seeds in them, and we have to introduce another uh, set of chromosomes into these bananas, and the seeds go away, and you get a banana. You get the fruit. So. No such thing as GMO bananas. If that makes you hate bananas, I don't know what to tell you. I'm sorry. Uh, so, yeah, there's no such thing as a non-GMO banana. Um, some of the other reasons. I've already talked about less land, high population, uh, climate change. Another big, big one. Okay. Um, whether or not you think it's human-caused scientific and this is going to be this is going to be another carpool chemistry whether or not you think it's human caused we'll debate that later the climate is changing things are changing in our climate we're getting more droughts we're getting more flooding in certain areas okay things are changing and and maybe even if you don't think the climate's changing it's going to like that I'll just a little side rant it kills me uh, when people try to argue about climate change and they say, well, the climate's always changing. Uh, so you're admitting there's climate change. I mean, you, they sometimes they just contradict themselves. Anyways, 
So if the climate's always changing, it's changing now. Okay, we're seeing that it's 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 not up for debate whether the climate is changing or not. The debate is whether it's human cost. But I, I digress. Okay. This this change is happening really fast. And so regular just selective breeding is not going to be able to keep up with the changing climates, okay? We're going to need science and we're going to need genetically modified organisms to be able to keep up with the change, okay? So uh, that's one really nice thing about GMOs. We can take one plant and genetically modify it to survive anywhere. For instance, I went down to the local uh, tractor supply and I saw uh, they had pecan trees that will survive in Utah. I also saw kiwis, okay? You can get fruit trees, like pecan, pecans are fruit, if you didn't know. Uh, there's a nut inside of them. But, uh, and kiwis, you can get a hardy pecan tree. It will grow in Utah. They usually only grow in the south, okay? GMOs. Thank you for making it so I can have my favorite nut, even though I don't have a pecan tree. But I could if I wanted to. Okay. So we can make it so uh, these plants can survive anywhere. Another thing that we can do is we can increase the nutritional value of a plant or a fruit through GMO. Um, I've seen tomatoes that have higher nutritional value because of genetically modified uh, tomatoes. In Asia, they're producing what's called golden rice that has more vitamin A because uh, people in Asia only like white rice. And this golden rice, it and because they only like white rice, they're not getting enough vitamin A. And they're having lots of health problems. So we introduced this golden rice that looks white, has higher vitamin A. They're kind of getting the best of both worlds, okay? Um, so we're able to do that. We're able to up the nutrition content of food. And that's always a good thing, okay? Uh, let's see. Oh, another reason why we need them. I don't know if you knew this or not. But uh, if you're a diabetic, chances are you use GMO. Actually, there's, it's not chances are. Uh, if you are diabetic and you use insulin, you're using a GMO every single day, okay? And if you're anti-GMO and you, that means you want people who have diabetes to die, okay? Um, they produce this insulin with bacteria. We put human insulin genes into bacteria and they produce human insulin with that gene, okay? We're able to provide this, this miracle from science to people with diabetes. It is a miracle, okay? Um, it's, it's amazing what we can do. People with type 1 diabetes either used to just die or we had to harvest uh, tons of cow pancreas and livers and blend them up and separate out the cow insulin and then inject that into people. 
So, you know, way you're either we don't have GMOs and diabetics either die or have to kill a bunch of cows and harvest their pancreas, or we can have GMOs and all that has to die is a bacteria, is E. coli, okay? So I'm, I'm going to side with having diabetic people live awesome, comfortable lives with the aid of uh, science helping them have insulin, okay? Um, another major thing is recent, like I use GMOs every single day in my research. Okay. We're able to take foreign genes, put them into say E. coli so that we can study the proteins they produce. Okay. I take Shigella genes, put them into E. coli. And so I can study Shigella proteins because E. coli are these E. coli are engineered to be able to produce protein really well. Okay. Um, so all of these scientific advancements make it so that we don't have to do studies in animals as much. We can do them in bacteria. We can do them in vitro instead of in vivo. PETA should love GMOs because it makes it so there's so much less animal testing. Okay. Um, we're able to study these proteins and and make it so then we do finally get to a animal study uh, or a human study. They've been, these drugs have been thoroughly vetted because of GMOs. Okay. And then we're going to get to the, the final one, which is the one that causes most people to freak out is the fact that we can genetically modify organisms, uh, such as plants. Most of the time is what people are freaking out about to be resistant to pesticides and herbicides. Uh, for instance, you may have heard of Roundup. You may have heard of this big uh, trial that just happened in California where a guy sued Monsanto over Roundup, said that it gave him cancer. There's no way to prove it. Uh, just so you know, Roundup, so it's safer than table salt, okay? It has a lower toxicity than table salt. Glyphosate, that, glyphosate, that is. Um Anyways, we can create these plants that are resistant to herbicides so that we can spray for all of these weeds but not kill the plants. Or we can spray for, like, spider mites in corn, and it kills the spider mites. It doesn't affect the corn, okay? And, and this is really important. And you have – we're going to – once again, we're going to have another – uh, carpal chemistry on organic, which supposedly uses uh, better pesticides and herbicides. Th they don't. They actually use some way more toxic ones like copper sulfate. We'll talk about copper sulfate later in this episode. Um, but because of we're able to use like Roundup, we actually – so, like, one of the things that people freak out about is they're saying because these plants are herbicide-resistant, we're spraying more herbicides on them than we need to. When In all actuality, we're actually spraying less because we can use a more general herbicide and we can spray less often because it will kill the weeds the first time, okay? Um, 
just like, just to give an example, like corn, we use Roundup Ready corn. It starts to grow. There's weeds. Okay. Because it's Roundup Ready, we can spray Roundup. It kills all the weeds. And then the corn is able to outcompete the weeds after that. Okay. If you weren't using Roundup Ready, you'd have to use an herbicide that was specific to whatever weed it was that isn't specific to corn. Okay. And you'd have to like tiptoe around all of this and you end up spraying more herbicides because of it. So GMOs are helping us to use less herbicides. Um, and we actually can GM, we can actually genetically modify plants to produce their own pesticide so we can spray less pesticides. You're not going to get that with your organic or whatever, you know, your, your natural foods. You're not going to get that. There's, if, if you think that they're not spraying pesticides on those, you're crazy, okay? Just because they say that they're not using conventional herbicides and pesticides does not mean they're not spraying their own. And a lot of times, like I said, they're more toxic than your conventional uh, herbicides and pesticides. Okay, and so that's that's... One of the reasons why people freak out. Another reason why people freak out is kind of along the same lines, but it's a little more logical of a reason, and, and we'll explain that, is that by spraying these herbicides and pesticides, uh, these we can create what are called superbugs or superweeds, where these weeds actually develop this pesticide or herbicide resistance. Okay, and then we can't kill these weeds with Roundup or whatever, okay? And and some of that is happening, and it's a legitimate concern. The problem is, no matter what herbicide you use, plants are eventually going to become resistant to it. we got to stay one step ahead of the game, okay? That's going to happen no matter what you're doing, okay? There's trees in California, redwoods changed their own DNA to be able to resist fire, okay? It actually can help. Some some things have evolved to be able to have fire help them, okay? To quote uh, Jurassic Park, life finds a way, okay? Life's always going to find a way. No matter what herbicide, no matter what pesticide we use, things are eventually going to become resistant to it. And what we want to do is just be responsible with our herbicides and pesticides. And only spray them when we need to so that we can slow resistance down. And we're going to have to develop new pesticides and new herbicides. Okay? That's, that's just a fact of life. Things are going to evolve. Things are going to change. Things are going to adapt. And we need genetic modification to keep up with that uh, – we got to stay one step ahead and keep up with the war. Okay. Um, one more thing that uh, people kind of freak out about is they freak out about uh, a lack of variety because of genetically modified organisms, which I don't understand. What we actually 
producing more variety by having more different kinds of GMOs. But uh, the major complaint is what's called monocropping is using just one crop, uh, like planting the same variety of corn throughout, which doesn't really happen a whole lot. But I mean, there is some of that. And once again, uh, the, the fear is, is that if there was like a pestilence or some kind of, you know, plague type thing, they would wipe out everything because there's no variety. But once again, we can use genetic modification to change that. We can keep up with whatever, you know, whatever calamity or whatever is going to come our way. We can keep up with it because of genetic modifications. We can have drought-resistant tomatoes. We can have drought-resistant corn. We can have, you know, we can make corn grow at different rates through genetic modification. Uh, we can circumvent these things. And yes, once again, we need to be responsible. We need to rotate crops. We need to be changing varieties of crops. We need to not get rid of, like, just chuck out old varieties. Keep some in case we need them. Okay, and and. Institutions are already put in place to be able to do that. Okay, so that's uh, some of the reasons why people freak out. And it kind of leads us to uh, some of the questions that we have with other people that are freaking out about things they probably don't need to, And but that's, that's what people do. People freak out about stuff. All right, guys, we're going to finally answer some questions. Actually, I've, I've kind of already answered some of the questions you guys had put, but we're going to answer uh, Taylor's question. So Taylor, uh, she's a dietitian friend of mine. She has a client that uh, claimed that she has a mutation in her, her MTHFR gene. Um, actually have talked about this in, in some of my classes before. It's, it's kind of referred to as the mother effer gene. Uh, even though it's not spelled that way, I've, he I've heard it recalled, like called that several times. Uh, I'm not going to call it that way, just so you know. But anyways, the MTHFR gene. Um, her client claims to have a mutation in this gene that uh, makes it so that GMOs make her not feel as well as eating non-GMOs, uh, and she just kind of wanted some more information on that, and so uh, we're going to get into it. So some background into what the MTHFR gene is. So MTHFR is short for methylene tetrahydrofolate reductase. It's an enzyme. And what this enzyme does is it changes 5,10-methylene tetrahydrofolate to 5-methyl tetrahydrofolate, okay? And this wouldn't seem too significant to have a uh, mutation in this, and it, it does cause some problems. Um, people that have a faulty or a mutation they okay let's let's get this out of the way first there is no mutations of the mthfr genes there's uh 
It's called polymorphisms. There's several different types of uh, polymorphisms. A polymorphism is kind of like a mutation. A mutation is much more rare. Uh, there's there's several different uh, types of this gene, and there's, they're actually fairly common. 15% uh, of white people have one of the polymorphisms of the MTHFR gene, and 25%, one in four uh, Hispanics, have one of the polymorphisms. So it's it's fairly common. And what it does is uh, basically this enzyme changes one kind of folate or folic acid to another kind of folate. And uh, folate is a very important molecule in uh, nutrition. One of the things, so what this is related to is folate helps uh, convert homocysteine to methionine and uh, it folate does other things in the body but this is this is related to what this question is so homocysteine gets converted by another enzyme with the help of folate as a substrate uh, or a cofactor to help homocysteine become methionine methionine is important because it helps with uh, making glutathione. Glutathione is an antioxidant uh, that helps uh, with with uh, breaking down different things in the body and helping uh, the liver do things. Uh, so what a lot of people are saying with this MTHFR gene is that if you have one of the polymorphisms of this gene, you're not go because you're not you're not going to be. They're saying that you're not going to be able to make as much methionine. You're you're going to not be able to break down homocysteine, which is homocysteine is a potentially toxic amino acid. Uh, you're not going to be able to break it down, so you're going to kind of have some toxicity going on. You're going to have a uh, you're going to not have as much methionine and you're not going to have as much glutathione and you're not going to be able to handle uh, toxins or chemicals in your body. And while that may be, I mean, if, if this was the only pathway, that would technically be true. But uh, number one, People with this polymorphism can just intake higher amounts of folic acid or folate, and it would this supplement would be able to help them make more methionine out of homocysteine. Uh, but also, there's this uh, enzyme called BHMT, which is betaine homocysteine methyltransferase which does the same thing. It's an entirely separate enzyme that does the same process as, uh, and it, and it does it without folate. It doesn't need folate to do it. So it completely bypasses, uh, the folate deficiency 
that's caused by having the polymorphism of MTHFR. Okay. Um, let's see. Just looking up something really quick, make sure I'm not missing anything. So yeah, so glutathione, it's actually not even used. Let's see, is it? I want to make sure that I'm getting this right and not telling you guys a lie. Okay. So yeah, it's it's naturally found in the body. Uh, it's an antioxidant, and and health people go crazy over antioxidants. Okay, and like I said, there's going to be. A, I have so many carpool chemistry episodes to do. We're going to do one on oxidation reduction, uh, so that people can understand this. If they just take, if they just take Davidson's class and actually paid attention, they would know the difference between oxidation reduction. Uh, I feel your pain, Davidson. I feel your pain. Um, I have to explain this to too many people. Anyways, so uh, that's that's kind of where this myth got started. That because uh, because you're not making as much of the specific type of folate, you're getting a buildup of homocysteine. You're not going to have enough methionine, you're not going to have enough glutathione, and your body's not going to be able to uh, fight off these ROS species, these free radicals, peroxides, um, and heavy metals. And because of that, anything that is thought to have these things in them, it's people are saying that somebody with the MTHFR gene should avoid and uh, people think that GMOs are a chemical so they say to avoid them I actually found a website called mthfr.com the ultimate source for optimal health um, so you know right off the bat that this is going to be some snake oil BS and uh, so this this uh, <laughs> let's see. This article is about what you should avoid and what you should uh, what you should stay away from, what you should eat. Let me find it. I actually had the wrong article pulled up from this place. There's just too many BS articles to uh, choose from. If my computer will load. Okay. This article is called, uh, this specific article is called How GMO and Pesticides Affect Your Brain. Okay. Just so you know, GMO is not it's not a chemical. We should know this. If you have listened this far and don't understand that GMO is not a chemical, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go back and listen to this like five times in a row to this point until you realize 
that GMO is not a chemical. It stands for genetically modified organism. It is a plant. It is a fruit. It is a fly. It is a bacteria. But it's not a chemical. Um, this person, uh, who is actually our dipstick of the day, Kendra Becker, ND. ND is a naturopathic doctor. It's basically a doctor of bullshit. I'm going to just say that. Um, <laughs> you have a fake doctorate degree, uh, Kendra Becker. And I'm, it's, it makes me mad that there's even people that exist that have that degree. Anyways, so let's get into her ridiculous article of nonsense. She starts off by talking about uh, microglia, which are kind of the immune system of the nervous system. Um, you have macrophage cells in the rest of your body, and microglia, microglia are kind of the macrophage of the nervous system. And so she says, uh, microglia are key cells in overall brain maintenance. And this is where it just kills. This is where I stopped after this. Um, she says, they're constantly scavenging the central nervous system for plaques, damaged or unnecessary neurons and synapses, and infectious agents like GMO. She once again says GMO like it's a chemical. She, that's an infectious agent. She has no freaking idea what GMO is, and she claims to have a doctorate degree. I honestly, it just, it kills me, people. It kills me. So she explains further uh, that in surveillance mode, the role of microglia can be shifted to an inflammatory and destructive state where they secrete toxic substances like glutamate and break down and Glutamate uh, is actually a natural neurotransmitter, so that's not completely true. Let's see. Let's see if I can find the other part of it. So, research indicates the body's ability to maintain adequate amounts of antioxidants, in particular glutathione and superoxidase dismutase, Pay, play key roles in determining the threshold by which microglia may be shifted to the destructive activation state in which the fact uh, she says the fact that Roundup residue does affect the microbes living in and on our bodies and not in a good way. GMO was created in part to have crops survive these strong pesticides. So once again, she, she talked about GMO like it's like it's some kind of chemical that GMO was create was created. Like it's a singular thing that it's just something that's applied. She has no idea what a GMO is. That's why Kendra Becker is our dipstick of the day. She has no idea what a GMO is. Anybody knows her. Tag her in whatever. So she can listen to this and realize why she's an idiot. Um, Anyways, Taylor, I hope I answered your uh, your question. The MTHFR gene it can affect methionine and technically glutathione levels, but we have other pathways that can counteract that. And if you just supplement folic acid, it's not even going to affect you, anyways. 
Um, not to mention that if you wash your foods, there's not going to be any pesticide or herbicides on your foods anyways. So saying that you have this mutation and that you should stay away from GMOs is ridiculous. Um, now, that being said, uh, the placebo effect, as we all know, is real. And by thinking that because you're avoiding this, because you saw it, she probably saw a site like this that told her to stay away from GMOs. Um, it makes her feel better. And you can trick yourself into thinking you feel better because of things like this. And so you're the dietitian, and you can uh, prescribe whatever you'd like, but just know that there's no evidence that if you have the M the MTHFR mutation that you should, I'm not going to say mutation, polymorphism, that you should stay away from GMOs. There's no evidence that GMOs have higher chemicals than organic or whatever. There's, there's no evidence of that, especially if you wash your food. Anything they spray on food, like an herbicide, Roundup, for instance, is water-soluble. If you wash your fruits and vegetables like you're supposed to, there won't be any on it, okay? Um, also, most of the time when they spray Roundup, for instance, on corn, it's when it's very young. So the fruit hasn't developed yet. So the Roundup is not going to be in your fruit. Lots of people think that Roundup ready means that there's already Roundup in it. No, it just means that it's resistant to being sprayed by Roundup, okay? So there's no chemicals in your food. It's, it's just a myth that gets perpetuated by crazy people that uh, don't understand how science works. So yeah, I hope, I know I keep going on rants. I'm, I hope that explains that. And uh, with that, I'm, I'm gonna wrap it up. That's, that's GMO guys, they're important, we need them. Without GMOs, we're not gonna be able to keep up. People are gonna die without GMOs. For starving, we're not gonna be able to keep up with all the different diseases. We're not going to be able to withstand the changing climates. Um, we need genetically modified organisms in this day and age to keep progressing technology, especially when it comes to agriculture and with medicine. GMOs are a very important part of medicine. And if you haven't understood that by now, once again, I think you need to go back and listen to this episode. Um, I will say that there's definitely some risks. There's risks with everything. Anything in science, there's risks and benefits. And the risks being that uh, we are creating these uh, superbugs and super uh, weeds, which we need to be responsible with genetically modified organisms and be responsible with our pesticide and herbicide use. Um, we'll eventually get to antibiotics, but it's kind of the same thing there. The more responsible we are, the less the risks are going to be. And so, but overall, genetically modified organisms are a very helpful thing. Like I said, and I, I don't know if I can stress it enough, we need them. We are not going to be able to feed this planet and all of the people on it without GMOs. 
And if you don't want GMOs, you're going to have to go around and start knocking people's houses down and get people to stop building on fertile farmland. Uh, that's that's on us. If you don't want GMOs, try, try taking people's houses away and stop having people build on the only land we have to grow things. And if you're not willing to do that, then uh, I'm just going to say kind of shut up because – do that or starve to death. Uh, grow your own food, whatever, if you don't want to have GMOs. But good luck finding something that's not domesticated uh, and is technically a GMO anyways. But, yeah. And so if you have any questions, please, please email me at carpoolchemistry at gmail.com. Uh, you can just uh, send me a personal message if you know me personally uh, on Facebook, whatever. You can also, if you have the Anchor app, you can send me video, not video, uh, voice messages. And I can actually include them in these, uh, in these podcast episodes. So send them to me. I'll, uh, I'll listen to them. And if I think they're important or, you know, if I want to address them, I will include them in the episode. So send them if you, to me if you want. Um, let me know how I did. Let me know if I got anything wrong. I... Don't think I'm perfect, and I am definitely not, and I make mistakes, and it's really late. It's 2 o'clock in the morning, so, um, yeah, guys, once again, next week, tune in for a marijuana episode. I'm going to be talking about THC, this is how late it is, THC and CBD. We're going to talk about marijuana, the benefits, the risks. We're going to talk about it all. Um, I'm not. I'm not going to get political on you. I may have a little rant, but we'll see. Um, might have a couple of rants. So, guys, uh, yeah, eat GMOs. They're good for you. Um, wash your fruits and vegetables, and uh, yeah, we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening.